happy writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you for joining me. One thing making me happy this week, uh, it's actually been making me happy for about a month now, is that for my birthday, my husband treated me to something I have been wanting for a few years now, and that is that he had permanent Christmas lights installed on our house. Uh, It's just what it sounds like. They are like these little LED lights um, that are very inconspicuous and they live on the house year round. But what I really love, not just that now I get to have Christmas lights without my husband or father-in-law having to get up and down the ladder every year, um, is that you can change the color to be like any color, any pattern. You can make them sparkle. You can make them do tricks. Uh, it's really, really fun. So for Valentine's Day, we had pink and red. Um, and this last week, we had green and gold for St. Patrick's. Uh, and I'm super excited to pick out my pastels for Easter. <laughs> and they're just like really, really fun. And of course, The girls love it and love playing with the app and making them do all sorts of fun things. Uh, So yeah, that's been really bringing us all a lot of joy. And like, why should all the fun be relegated to December? I am so in for holiday lights all year round. I am also so happy to be talking to today's guest. She's a graduate of Michigan State University who worked several years as a journalist in Oklahoma City and now resides in Denver. Her debut YA contemporary, Being Mary Bennett, just came out this past week. Please welcome J.C. Peterson. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming and happy launch week. How has it been going? Thank you. You know, I was really nervous, but I I woke up like the day before my launch and was just like, I can't do anything else. There's literally (laughs) nothing else for me to accomplish right now except to enjoy it to celebrate. So it's been pretty fantastic. That is a really great feeling and a great way to think about it because I know how stressful the weeks and months leading up to the launch can be. And you feel like you're, you've got a million plates in the air, a million balls, and you're just trying to get all of the things done. And it's important to pause and celebrate. The book is out. It's here. It's real. I know it's been, it's yeah, it's just been, it's like the surreal wild, fun experience. Um, I, I think I didn't quite know how I would feel. And so it's, it's been nice just to like sit with it yeah, and, and just kind of relax all week, like have fun things and celebrate and dinners. And my husband and I went to a hotel for a couple nights, which I was so looking forward to because I mean, we have two kids, so we've been in a pandemic and mm-hmm. parenting in a pandemic for two years. Um, but it's just, it's been lovely. It's been lovely. That's awesome. What a wonderful way to celebrate. I, as much as we love our kids, I think getting away from them is such a healthy thing to do once in a while. Right. That's what we always tell them. We're like, we're better parents when we get a break. This is about you guys and also us. <laughs> right. It's a gift for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, good for you and congratulations. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you, uh, about your origin story, um, because mm-hmm. in one of our emails, you mentioned that 
you had quite a lot of roadblocks on your path to publication, um, but you did not go in to explain that at all. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing what was your story? How did you go from wanting to be a writer to now having your debut book out in the world? Yeah, you know, I think a lot, like a lot of writers, you know, when you start out, you kind of think that it's going to be a straight path. You're like, I'm starting down my my writer path, and it's just like nothing else is going to happen. There's going to be no rocks, no stumbles. Um, but I think a lot of us writers, we realize this as we get into it. It's so there are there's so many detours. There's so many things that we have to go around, and you only reach the end by persevering by being like, this is what I do. And I can't do anything else because I can't not be a writer. Um, and so that's, that's where like the celebration comes from and the finding wins. I started out writing. Um, I always tell this story of, I, I married my husband and he was in the military at the time. And so I moved to a new state. That's how I moved to Oklahoma city. Um, and then he was deployed to Iraq, like right after we got married. I mean, it was, you know, like four or five months after, mm. but I didn't know anybody. So I was like, I'm going to go to my job and then I'm going to come home. And I'd had this idea for a book kind of percolating for a while. And I had it all written down on notes that like during breaks at work or just random times, I would write down snippets of things about characters, lines plot ideas. They were all very bad. They're all very, very things that I could never use again, right? Because I was a little <laughs> little baby writer who didn't know what I was doing. But he was deployed and I spent five months just writing a book because I had I had a cat and I had a job and I didn't really know anybody yet. So mm. he came he came home and I was like, hey, guess what? I think I want to be an author. And he, and since that moment, he's been like, he's been my number one cheerleader. Um, he, I always call him my stage husband because he's always there either cheering me on or coming up with ideas for like, Hey, you could talk to this person. You know, we have a contact here to try and, you know, cause a lot of writing is also networking and mm. marketing yourself and everything. Um, so I wrote, I started writing YA fantasy because that's what I loved to read. And that's just where all my ideas were living. But after I mean, lots of false starts, right? So many false starts. I kind of, I found my voice in writing rom-com. And I think a lot of that came from, at the time I was working at a paper and I had a first person column and it was a very voicey column that mm. helped me develop my voice and realize like, that's just where I live. I live in that rom-com or fun, voicey writing um, so I switched to writing a YA contemporary and I, I ended up signing with an agent, but my book died on submission. It never sold. So um, I started writing something new and in the interim, that agent left the business, which is a story that you hear so often that happens to so many people, but it's something that I feel you don't hear about until it happens to you. It happens to you. And then everyone's like, oh, I know somebody who oh, this happened to me too. Um, yeah. And so I... I reached this point where I had been working on being Mary Bennett as like my second book to go out on submission. My agent left. And then I had, I had my second child two weeks after she left the business. And so, I mean, I just, I was like, okay, I'm done. Like I'm, this isn't happening. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hang it up. I now have two kids that are like three and a newborn. Right. So I thought that I could be done writing, but I kept 
kind of how I started out. I kept like squirreling away little snippets of lines and character ideas and edit ideas. And about a year after I had my second child, I, I applied on a whim for Pitch Wars as kind of like a, let's just see what happens. Like, I, I can't stop thinking about this book. I can't stop thinking about writing, even though outwardly I'm saying like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got in and that kind of kicked everything off because after that it happened very fast. But, you know, when I think about it, I started writing in 2006, 2007, and I signed, I, I got my publishing deal in 2020. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a long road, <laughs> it's a very long road, but it's worked out well so far. And I'm sure there will be more roadblocks, right? Just like anybody else who's in this <laughs> writing world, there will be other detours. But so far it's, I, I, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that I kept going. Even when I was telling everybody like, no guys, I'm totally done. I don't write anymore. You know, secretly in my little writer brain, I knew that it wasn't yeah. done. Yeah. yeah, I think it's one of the hallmarks because I have other friends who had a point in their lives when they stopped writing and they mm-hmm. gave up essentially. But I think that's one of the, the hallmarks of being a writer is you can't just stop. It's a part of you. Um, so even if you say I'm done, I'm done thinking about agents and editors, and I'm never going down that path again, but the story ideas keep coming. The characters keep speaking to you. Like Mm -hmm. you can't just stop. It's like, once you've turned on that tab, you know, I, you just, there's no turning it off. It's a, it's a one-way valve. always it's always going to be there and you know even if it's like dripping out ideas or it's just like a full-on deluge of of water you know it's you can never it's like once you accept that part of yourself almost there's never going there's never you're never going to go back yeah right so yeah you know and when I did when I did pitch wars I my husband knew that I was doing it and a couple friends but I didn't tell anybody because I was so I had, you know, kind of bought into this idea of, no, I'm done. I'm done writing. I've, you know, I've, I've got two kids. I've, I'm doing these other things now. And I remember we went, this was right before the pandemic. We went on vacation with my dad and stepmom. And I was like on deadline with Pitch Wars edits. And I just did not tell them. I brought my laptop and was like quietly, like secretly. <laughs> But they're like, why are you staring at that screen all the time? (laughs) And I was so stressed. There was one day where I was like so stressed out, but I just didn't. And I think that comes from, I, I don't know if it's my personality type, but I didn't want, I didn't want to disappoint them if it didn't happen, you Mm. know, because they had known this whole story of me signing with an agent and the book not selling. And it's hard after a while to keep telling people, oh, there's no news or, oh, it's not good news. Yeah. You just kind of stop. Um, and so I think I didn't, you know, I just, I didn't want them to feel, and I don't think they would have felt disappointed, but for me, I was like, I don't Mm -hmm. want people to be disappointed again. No, I, I relate to that so much. And I think probably a lot of people listening do like, I feel like as soon as you tell the people in your life, I want to be a writer and I want to publish books, the questions start, how's it going? How's your manuscript going? How's mm-hmm. the, the search for an agent going? You know, blah, blah, blah. And of course, so well-intentioned. It's There's love behind these questions. And we all know that. 
Mm-hmm. But when it's taking you two, three, five, ten 10 years to finish a manuscript, submit it, get an agent, get an editor, like it can get really discouraging to have to field those questions all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like you are just giving them the same answer over and over again. And so yeah. it's kind of, it, it, I started to worry that it came off. Like I just didn't want to talk about it or, but really it's also, this world is pretty insular. So mm-hmm. it can be, it can be hard to talk about, you know, that just all the different little steps to the outside world. I feel like it just, it looks bananas, right? Yeah. <laughs> My, my dad would ask me questions after I had sold, you know, like what, what book are you working on? When is it coming out? And to, to explain to him, like, this is a two year process. Like I might've sold, I might've sold the book and signed this contract, but it's not going to be out for two years. And in the interim, I'm going to be writing another book. Like it's, it's it's a hard thing to wrap your head around. It is. No. And I feel like this is one of the reasons why we all need writer friends in our life because they're the only ones that you can really talk to the behind the scenes stuff and who are going to get it. Like talking about revisions, edit, brainstorming, you know, conflict and character arcs and these sorts of things. I can't talk to my mom about that sort of thing. Like she just Mm -hmm. wants to know if there's going to be a movie (laughs) or she wants to know when the next book is coming out. Um, it's, it's, it's a totally different conversation. It is. It is. Yeah. It feels like, um, you know, now I listen to, so my husband works in IT and I'll hear him use these acronyms. So, cause he, he also works from home and you'll hear him saying these acronyms that just, I mean, it's, it's gibberish. It makes no sense. <laughs> but like, so, so is what we do when we talk yeah. about it. And you talk about like, oh, there's an option package or, you know, I'm going into copy edit and then proofread. I mean, it, nobody knows what the, what that really means. Right. Right. When just, so it's a, it's a wild world that we chose. It is. No, it really is. Um, but what else are you going to do? Right. Right. <laughs> I've always been a writer and that's what I would say. Like writing is the only thing I know how to do. I can, I can write about different things, you know, cause I was a journalist, but it's always going to be writing for me. Yeah. And I, I do love the, uh, the note about your column uh, and writing in first person and to kind of developing that voice. Cause that was one of my favorite things about this book was Marnie's incredible voice. Oh, thank um, you. So I totally want to talk about that, but first would you please tell listeners about your debut book? What is being Mary Bennett about? Yeah. So being Mary Bennett is a YA rom-com that's inspired by pride and prejudice And it's telling the story of Marnie, who is the middle of five sisters. And she's just trying to figure out in this large family, like where she belongs, because she's trying so hard to figure out her place. But her younger sisters have their own disastrous things going. And her older sisters are like super competent and talented. And so she's just striving to figure out like, how do I, how do I stand out in all of this? And the truth is, in the beginning, she doesn't, she doesn't know how to do. So she stands out by being like super awkward and pedantic and prickly. <laughs> but it's about her slowly realizing that she has a place. She doesn't need to prove her worth to her family or her friends that she's making. She's pretty great as she is. She just needs to accept that about herself. Mm. So, yeah. 
So of course, people who listen know I love anything to do with Jane Austen, anything to do with Pride and Prejudice. Um, We said in our emails, like you contacted me, but you were already on the list of authors for me to be like, I want this author on my podcast. So it was perfect. Right. Um, That said, it's not really, I mean, it's kind of a Pride and Prejudice retelling, but not really. Um, you very much could have gone off in your own direction. So for people like me who hear Mary Bennett, Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, I'm in, uh, tell them a little bit about how Pride and Prejudice inspired this book, what's going to be familiar and what is going to be different. Yeah. So first off it's contemporary. So it's taking place in like modern day San Francisco, but also I, when I started writing this and I didn't realize when I started it, that it would make it this weird convoluted thing, but I thought of it like a sequel. You know, you see so many of those of those like Pride and Prejudice, not quite retellings, but they're they're taking they're just that's their starting point. And that's what I did too. So I was trying to think of after Pride and Prejudice ends, after Lizzie has found her Darcy, you know, what's happening with the rest of the family? What's happening with my, you know, Lydia and Kitty and Mary? Um, and so that that was my jumping off point. So all of the characters are there. They're just, this is all happening in my head after Pride and Prejudice. And so I really, I really like that because within, you know, when you read Pride and Prejudice and you're reading it, looking for any signs of Mary, she's not, she's not in the book a lot. She's yeah. really not. And she's just kind of this background character that you can tell that Jane Austen is kind of, I mean, <laughs> not a fan. Not right. A fan <laughs> You know, and I kind of wonder if that is because she saw herself Mm. in Mary Bennett, maybe more than she wanted to admit. Because I'll say, I was watching an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice when it hit me that I was like, oh, I'm more like Mary in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. than Lizzie. And I think a lot of other people are too, where, you know, we want to be Lizzie, we want to be, you know, witty and vivacious and be able to have that like quick banter. But a lot of us are maybe a little bit more awkward in social situations or, you know, want to be loved for who we are, but maybe don't know how to go about that. So that that's kind of where I was coming from. But I will say, I try and put a lot of little, a little nods to the original in throughout the book. I mean, I definitely have like a mention of boiled potatoes. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go without having that little like Mr. Collins-esque. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And just, it, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to take everything that, that I love about Pride and Prejudice and other classics and kind of insert it into this story. Yeah, no, I love all of the book references, you know, and I'm with you. I, I didn't realize how much I related to Mary until I read this. And you're right. Like so many of us, the, the bookishness, the, you know, being a little awkward, the like, she's kind of judgy toward her sisters and her family, but you also get the impression that she just kind of wants to be more like them. Like there's so many things that you can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. She's, you know, I think in her, in her, in her heart, even when she's coming off the most prickly that she gets, it's coming from a place of her desperately trying to find where she belongs and, and wanting people to like her, even though she's convinced herself that she doesn't need people that she, you know, she starts out being like, I am a scholar. I've got my books. I don't need people, (laughs) but, 
But even in that, you see that she desperately wants friends and Mm -hmm. wants her family to love her because she's worried so much about how she stacks up to her sisters. Yeah. So it's, it's always there. Um, Yeah. She was a lot of fun to write. She really, really was. Yeah. So let's talk, because I want to talk character arc, um, Mm -hmm. because this is a very character arc driven book. Um, You know, we've got Marnie early in the book, she kind of has this realization that she is Mary Bennett, the Mary Bennett of her life, of her family. Uh, She's definitely not the Lizzie. And then she enters into this kind of self-driven makeover story, um, you know, tries to say, okay, I'm going to be a different person. And that's, you know, kind of what drives the plot forward. But of course, in the end, we find it's more about not so much changing herself, but more of a self-acceptance story um, and kind of figuring out I can be myself and also be part of my family and also have friends, et cetera. Um, So for you, just talk a little bit about developing that character arc. Uh, What were some of the the challenges or some of the things that you were thinking about as you were kind of figuring out, okay, how am I going to get Marnie from point A to point Z? It was like point A, maybe back to point A, but nicer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a good, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, once a challenge that I definitely had in the beginning is that I'm starting with who Mary is. And Mary is not a big fan of Lizzie, right? She is, she is looking at her older sister pretty judgy. Um, and so I'm starting with, I'm starting with Marnie, my main character. It, she's not going to she's not going to love her older sister. She's going to, she's going to be kind of judgy to her. She's going to desperately want to one up her in every way that she can. And so I'm, I'm starting from a place that, you know, she's pretty unlikable and I needed her to be unlikable. And I wanted her to be unlikable. Cause that's something that I personally, I like to read characters who have genuine growth that, you know, that they don't start out perfect. And the only thing that needs to change is outward, you know, it is, is, is the world around them. I, I want to see that they have to change too. Um, and so, you know, I wanted, I wanted Marnie's growth to feel really earned and not this perfect arc, you know, not, not this perfect straight path. So she makes a lot of mistakes throughout it, but I'm hoping that I show that she's always learning from them and is genuinely trying to become a better person, but also I didn't want it to be one of those where it's like, oh, the the weird nerd takes her glasses off and suddenly <laughs> she's amazing. Oh, like she's that. so pretty under those right. glasses. Right? Right? Like, <laughs> that, I did not want that. You know, in, a, in an earlier version, I had one of those just straight, legit, like, makeover scenes. And my mentors and pitch wars were like, you know, this doesn't really fit because she doesn't need to change who she is outwardly. She just needs to accept who she is and start loving herself. And so I have a scene where she's like, is this going to be a makeover? And her roommate Adira is like, no, I'm not doing that for you. Like you can, (laughs) I will help you if you want, but I'm not going to take you into the bathroom and like pluck your eyebrows and, (laughs) you know, like put on lipstick and suddenly you're a different person. Um, So it was, it was fun. It was fun to make her make so many mistakes, make so many mistakes, but learn from every single instance and become somebody who is kind and warm while still being pretty judgy and pretty bookish. <laughs> you know, like she's, she's not gonna, 
she's not going to become a totally new person. She's just going to become a bit better version of herself. Mm -hmm. No, I'm so glad that you bring up uh, that she is one of those characters that is unlikable in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, Because here's what I love. And I don't know how much of this was intentional on your part, but if it was, it was masterful. Uh, We've got Marnie and you can like see her through the lens of all these people around her. And you can understand why people don't really like her that much. You know, she is arrogant. She is pedantic and awkward and like kind of cluelessly rude sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so you can see like, you know, coming into this story. Yeah. She is the Mary Bennett and here's why her family thinks she's kind of the outcast and here's what, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yet as the reader, I liked her immediately. Um, I was like, I like that she's bookish and nerdy. I so get like this, that she would rather stay holed up in the library instead of going out to dinner with strangers. I'm like any day of the week, (laughs) I am with you on that. Um, And then she also has this fantastic sense of humor. Um, And here coming back to what you were saying earlier about developing your voice and, you know, kind of uh, this, uh, just kind of being a more voicey narrative. I loved her voice. I loved her sense of humor. So how much of that would you say was Marnie? How much is you? Like, how much did you have to kind of work to bring that to the surface as you were writing? Or was she just like, yeah, I'm just funny. Yeah, she she's just kind of fully formed. I mean, (laughs) I will say I tend to be a voicier writer. That's just who I am. I'm going to be, it's going to be like jokes and banter and dialogue. And I don't think I could ever do anything different, but I will say from writing my next book, it's still voicey, but in a very different way. And I was, I was a bit nervous about that. I was like, can I do, can I continue to do voicey work that doesn't just sound like Marnie every single time? And so that is something, it was just there from the beginning. It's so hard to talk about voiciness because mm-hmm. I, I kind of don't know any other way to write. Like it's always, it's always just been the thing with me. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So she was, she was funny from the beginning. Cause if not, she's just going to be so dour that it, it would be a slog to read. Like I want to be, I want readers to be annoyed with her at the be- beginning. Like, oh my God, why is she making these awful mistakes, but also laughing mm-hmm. at the way that she's phrasing things and the way that she thinks in her head. Cause in the beginning, you know, all of the voiciness is all inside her head. She's not really saying funny things. Cause I think she's not as confident in herself as she becomes. So yeah, yeah the voice was always there. <laughs> yeah, no. And it's, I mean, I get asked all the time um, about, you know, character development and voice and these sorts of things. Um, And I know what you're saying, that there are some characters that just arrive in your head and you don't really have to work that hard. Um, If there was a writer who is listening to this and say they're working on a first person story And they feel like the character's just kind of falling flat. What advice would you give them? Oh, man. So my advice would be to think about how that person would 
chat with their friends. Not about like, not something that is driving the plot forward. Like you don't need to worry about that right now. But if they were getting coffee with a friend or, you know, going out for a night with, a, with friends, how would they talk? What would they, how would they, how would their voice be inflected? Where would they put the emphasis? How would they have a shorthand? Because I think that's one of the ways that you can add that voiciness to dialogue is by thinking about how the banter goes back and forth and how people complete each other's sentences or miscommunicate. Um, I think there's a lot of places there. And then also just reading a lot of the sort of voice that you are trying to, that you're trying to, to, to call up in your book. I think the more you read, the more you start to be able to pick out how authors do it. You know, you, you start to kind of dissect it. Um, and I think it comes from practice too. Mm. You know, I, I definitely have been in writer groups where people will read their dialogue. And as they're reading out, out loud, you're realizing they that it just it's plotting because they haven't because the, the characters aren't talking like they would really talk or they're not thinking like they would really think. They're thinking all in terms of how do I drive the plot forward? How do I give you all the information that I need to without mm. letting the characters be themselves in that moment? And it doesn't need to be wall to wall. I mean, if it, if I had my way, it would be all my books would be wall-to-wall banter. <laughs> but, but find, you know, I think it's a lot about finding through practice what that perfect blend is of moving the plot forward and not just like standing in a white box of a room with banter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, it is one of those things that, I mean, like with all things of writing, the, the more you do, the better you're going to get mm-hmm. more easily some things are going to come. And my thing is plot. I have a pacing and plot were always what I, that's what I have to work hardest on when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like the dialogue and character, that's the first thing that comes to me. And then, I mean, there will be whole things. I have a notebook of lines of just like funny lines. And sometimes I'll find that like, I have a whole idea based around this line. It just starts growing and changing and like turning into a book in my head based on a line. But that, but what I really have to work on in edits is always pacing, is always mm-hmm. getting my characters where they need to go in a timely fashion. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's like the opposite. I feel like plot and pacing is like mm-hmm. what I, it comes really naturally to me. Whereas like characters and world building are the two things that I'm constantly like having to push myself on and dig deeper and okay, go back to the beginning. How did I do this before? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's flipped. It's flipped for me. Yeah. Let's talk about relationships. Yeah. Because this book <laughs> is full of relationships and they are all different. They are all like I almost feel like everyone is a foil for a different side of Marnie. Or mm-hmm. yes, of Marnie. How much said Mary, Marnie, what's her name? I know, um, I know. You know, we're seeing her how she relates and interacts with all of these different people. You know, we've got her roommate slash friend, uh, Adira, which kind of has its own drama happening. We've got um, her relationship with her dad that she just so desperately wants his approval. We've got the four sisters, just like in Pride and Prejudice. Uh, We've got two different love interests going on. So there's just a lot of relationships happening. And I feel like every one of those was given a really defined 
story of its own and a really defined arc, you know, her mm-hmm. relationships to every one of these characters changes over the course mm-hmm. of the book. Uh, was that, I imagine that was probably really difficult keeping them balanced. So kind of how did you work through that? Yeah. Yeah. And I will say this is a rom-com. I, I love writing romantic elements, but that was the one that I had to work on bringing to the foreground more. It was it was easier for me when I was writing drafts of this to focus on her friendship with Adira, her roommate, and especially with her older sister, Lindy, who's the Lizzie character. Um, those were the things, those were the two relationships that spoke to me the most and that I think will inform who Marnie becomes throughout her life. Those two relationships that she's able to build. I love the the. I love the love interest. I love Wit. <laughs> Me too. I am. I am so in love with him. I will say, I love him. Total book but, crush. But I, I definitely had to go back through and be like, oh, we need to see more of. We need to see more of him because I was. I, I kept prioritizing her having interactions with Adira or Lindy, and you know that was really important to me too. I wanted. I wanted to see her having healthy, true relationships with other women who are going to help her love herself, help her become a great person and see how she helps them too. So that was, that was the, that was the most fun for me was writing Adira and Lindy and how she interacts with them. And Lola, the little sister Lola was a big surprise for me how much I liked writing her. I loved her. No, I was going to ask if you had a favorite side character. It's Lola. It's 100% yeah. Lola. Lola, it, so Mar- Marnie came into my head fully formed. Lola was not fully formed until she came strolling onto the page. <laughs> and I, it surprised me so much. And actually my second book that I'm working on right now is about her. I oh, I thought, love that. I never thought that I would do a companion novel to this, that I would continue on in this world. But Lola was just like, yeah, that's what's happening. We're right about me. <laughs> I am so excited. Is it going to be called Being Lydia Bennett? It's not. I thought about that. Um, okay. <laughs> that was a very long pause. So you're like, can I answer that question? I'm not sure. Well, because I've seen like I've seen a draft of the cover and I just I adore it. So I'm excited to start talking about that. But I don't. It's so weird, right? In publishing, figuring out like when you can talk about things. I know they're really like, weird yeah. about stuff. Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> I have to say, I loved their mom. Um, <laughs> like she is so cringy. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so offensive. But it's so brilliant because you know, you read Pride and Prejudice, and because being in our, our modern sensibility, it's hard to kind of put your brain back 200 years ago and understand what the problem with her is. And I think that you did a such a wonderful job bringing that character into a contemporary story. And like, here is how embarrassing this character is supposed to be. Oh, yeah. She's she's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. No, I super, super fun character. And yeah, just <laughs> I'm so sorry, Bennett sisters. <laughs> you can only have her in like very small doses. But yeah, I was thinking, you know, 200 years ago. Obviously, her big thing is going to be like, got to marry these daughters. And mm-hmm. also, you know, she and her husband probably married young. And it's not like they could split up 
at that point, right? So I wanted to, when I brought her into the modern era, I needed to make sure that I had a real reason why my parents, why the parents were still together. So I wanted Mm -hmm. to make her horribly cringy, but also get that like the dad, the dad is like on team mom. Her name's Julia Barnes. They, he gets her and he loves her and they're very different, but they work together somehow. I don't know how, but (laughs) (laughs) some people just make it work. Right. Yeah. And I do, I mean, she is not without redeeming qualities. Um, And there is one moment in particular where her and Marnie share a really sweet moment. And I felt like that moment was really powerful in showing just how far Marnie has come as far as finding her place in her family. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And I wanted, you know, these parents, um, so Julia, especially Marnie's mom, she loves her daughters. She, she adores them. She's not, she's not the sort of mom who I didn't want to make her a villain mom, but it's also a little complicated. She's selfish and she doesn't quite understand when her daughters are doing anything outside of what she thinks is the way you do things. Yeah. So I, I wanted kind of that. It's a little bit of a difficult relationship, but the love is there. Yeah. Even even if it's hard to see. Right. Uh, Okay. So speaking of difficult relationships, um, I totally want to talk a little bit about Hayes. Um, So we've got two love interests in this book, um, but it's not a love triangle. I want to lay that right out. Um, Like, I I don't think it's spoilery to say that Hayes is problematic from the beginning and readers will pick up on that. Oh, yeah. Um, So, okay. So we've got at the beginning, uh, this character Hayes, this, you know, friend of the family, this older guy, and Marnie is absolutely infatuated with him. Um, And it is such a stark contrast. I mean, he's kind of smarmy and, Mm -hmm. you know, she, she just like sees sparkles every time he's near, but as the reader, you're like, oh, honey. (laughs) Um, And such a sharp contrast to when we meet Wit, who is sweet and genuine and volunteers at an animal rescue shelter and you just love everything about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to me a little bit about Hayes and building that angle of the story, because part of me thinks like this is probably really fun to write. Uh, Marnie's just like melodramatic, you know, self martyrdom so, so <laughs> and the unrequited love, the pining, all of that. At the same time, how much did you want to smack her? Oh, all the time. <laughs> and the hard, the hard thing was writing, writing Hayes in a way that he is smarmy enough that we get it, but we can see that Marnie has put on that she's she's just unwilling to see the truth about Hayes. And in her, you know, in her defense, it's because she's built him up as this romantic interest that she can never get and that's what makes him so appealing to her is that she can feel like oh this unrequited love and I'm so true to him and it makes her feel dramatic and Mm -hmm. you know like like there's something true there in her head it would never be acted upon right that she's going to love him from afar and that makes her she thinks it makes her really amazing right that like (laughs) my love is so true right (laughs) But she's also like she's 17 turning 18. She's she doesn't know what she's doing. Right. He's, you know, 
I developed Haze because when I was looking, when, when you think about Pride and Prejudice, to me, it's so clear that Mary and Mr. Collins should have been together, right? He mm. should have just kept going down the line <laughs> to Mary and he didn't. But I feel like Mary would have loved that. She would have been a great, she would have been a great, like, I'm blanking on the word now, a preacher, but what was it called then? He's a vicar mm. or what, you know, whatever he is. She would have been great at that, like wearing her little bonnets and reading books all day. Oh my God. Right. Telling you where you have gone wrong. <laughs> right. Right. That's what she was made for. So that's why I was starting is Hayes is my Collins in the modern day. So when I was thinking about how to modernize him, you know, making him a tech bro who's desperate for approval just <laughs> seemed to fit perfectly. Right. He's, he's not super good at what he does, but he is going to he's not going to shy away from talking about it and talking himself up. And yeah, just, it, it all, it all fit to me. Um, yeah, it, it was, but it was hard. It was hard to make him smarmy enough that we all got it, but not that it would be so glaringly obvious to Marnie. Yeah. He's, he's so terrible. Oh, he's he so really terrible. is. He's so gross, but I totally oh. get it. And I think especially being bookish as a teenager, like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, we get that feeling like there is something weirdly satisfying about unrequited love, you know, and, and putting yourself as that heroine in the story. Um, You know, I, I totally get it. Well, yeah, because it makes you, it makes you feel a little superior, right? Because Marnie feels superior to her younger sisters because her love is, is of, it's of this more like pure, almost like nun like mm-hmm. nature, but also because it's unrequited, she's never expected to act upon it because that would scare her. And so in her head, this is the perfect love for her because she doesn't actually have to do anything about it. Right. She right. can just think about it and live it in her head. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's why I loved how how Hayes and Wit were so different and played off of each other because Marnie, Marnie doesn't have to worry about her relationship with wit because it's, it comes easily. It's something that's actually genuine. You know, she's never trying to play a part with him or, or like extrapolate in her head what would happen. Cause it's just, it's, it's just a a, a real emotion that she's feeling instead of something that she's making up with Hayes. Right. Which, and again, coming back to, you know, how this, this book has so many different angles of her, her personal character arc. It's like, we go from this love at a distance to suddenly she is faced with something that has the potential to be real and seeing her like, well, what do I do with that? (laughs) It's, it's, uh, I think having the two paired across from each other and her kind of in the middle was, just a really great way of showing how, again, how she goes from being this version of Marnie to the Marnie that we finally have at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I loved Wit. I mean, I loved making him. I love Wit. I love him. I can, he's one of those male leads that I can see so clearly in my head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, he's, and then he's an interesting one because he is one of those characters. Like I, we're just to describe him to somebody like he's handsome. He volunteers at an animal rescue center. He knows how to 
waltz like he goes to <laughs> regency era ballroom because of his sister to do he does it for his sister like he he sounds like uh you know like a like a hero in a romance novel right, right. and yet he in an actual reading of it he's not a stereotype he felt very real and very fully fleshed out Good, good, because that's what I was hoping for. Yeah, <laughs> you did it. You nailed it. <laughs> it's so great. But yeah, I don't want him to feel like just like a cut and paste romance hero, right? Like I wanted him to feel like a real person with, you know, when he walks off the page, you can imagine what he's doing. So, and it's yeah. hiking with dogs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. This, yes, this is what he's doing right now in San Francisco. Yes, he is going on a walk. <laughs> With his with his dogs and he's very happy. Yeah. Oh no, he was so charming. I really, really was swept away by him. Um, and then I have to ask, and this might be kind of a self-serving question. Mm-hmm. Um, Wit is part Japanese. And at one point we learned that his Japanese name is Kaito. Uh, and I'm wondering if he might be like the ancestor to the future Eastern Commonwealth Emperor. Oh. I hadn't thought of that. Because <laughs> in my head, this is my uh-huh. head canon. <laughs> you know, I had wanted because so so in Japan in and I was I was skewing time a little bit here because this is like 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, there was an anime, it was a, it started out as manga of Anne of Green Gables. And so it was like, this is how I can, this guy can know Anne of Green Gables because he was introduced to it when he was living in Japan and having older sisters who were like all into it. So to me, he was, yeah, he was always, always an Air Force brat who had, you know, traveled around the world with his family and always had a really strong connection to Japan. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Now I, I, like, like I said, I really love this character. I thought he was so well done. <laughs> Um, okay. Are you ready for our bonus round? Sure. All right. Tea or coffee? Tea, a hundred percent tea. My husband is so into coffee and I can't get into it unless it has like chocolate and sprinkles. So tea all the way. <laughs> right. 90% cream, little splash of coffee. <laughs> right. Right. Plotter or pantser? Plotter who ends up changing almost everything that I had plotted when I'm getting into it. What is your favorite writing snack? Ooh. Oh man, everything. Um, I love candy. It will be my downfall. Um, so like Sour Patch Kids, hot tamales, chocolate, like any sort of movie theater candy, I usually have squirreled away in my desk drawer. Library or bookstore? I'm going to say library. I grew up going to my little local library and love it. I just love libraries so much. Hardcover or paperback? Paperback. I get too nervous about hardcovers and hurting them. (laughs) (laughs) A stroll through the garden or a turn about the room? Stroll through the garden. How do you celebrate an accomplishment? By... Oh, I, I mean, I could say eating candy, making a dessert, going out to dinner with my with my husband or family. That's usually it. What book makes you happy? Ooh, I'm just reading one right now. Um, so last year, the Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels came out by India Holton. 
very, very voicey, but it's like an an anachronistic history um, that has romance. And her sequel, or not a sequel, a companion novel just came out called The League of Gentlewomen Witches. Came out the same day as mine, and I am reading it right now, and it just makes me smile every time I open it. What great titles. Are they great? Oh my God, they're so good. They're fantastic. What are you working on next? I know you already told us a little bit about it. Is there any more information you can give us? No, it's just, it's about, uh, it's going to follow Marnie's little sister, Lola, as, and she's the Lydia Lydia Bennett character. So she is truly a disaster. Um, And this is going to be her after things have gone south with her Wickham. So she is trying to rebuild her life, but makes so many mistakes. Um, And it's about her being forced to be out in nature for a summer. She has to hike and camp and hates it, (laughs) except when she learns to love it. Oh, I love that. And I can just see her out in the woods, miserable. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, I have to ask, do we think there's going to be a cat book? Um, no, I don't think there's going to be. I oh. just I just had these two ideas for Marnie and then Lola <laughs> showed up. So I think I'll be moving on from this world after this. All right. <laughs> Lastly, where can people find you? I am on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Instagram is JCP writes and Twitter is Jen C underscore P. And then also you can find all of that from my website, which is jcpetersonwrites.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Readers, be sure to check out Being Mary Bennett. It is out now. Of course, we encourage you to support your local indie bookstore, but if you don't have one, you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. Next week, I will be talking to Newbery Award winner Erin Entrada Kelly about her new middle grade novel, Those Kids from Fawn Creek. And yes, I did say that last week, um, that there was some reshuffling of the schedule. This time, I mean it. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer author and at happy writer podcast until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy and whatever life throws at you today. I hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.